do it. Welcome to the South Piedmont Community College Public Safety Leaders Podcast. My name is Battalion Chief Rob Cannon, uh, and uh, our topic today is responder wellness. I am on the line with Brad Borders, uh, who is a, a good friend of mine, and I believe now at this point, a uh, I'd call Brad. I'd call you a national expert on this kind of thing. Let me let me quick oh, tell the folks that are listening your your background. Uh, Brad, and you will hear me call him Chap. That's his nickname because Brad is a chaplain in the Army of the United States of America. He holds the rank of major. We hope we're going to get him up to lieutenant colonel here real soon. But uh, he's been doing that, I think, for almost two decades now. Uh, chaplain duties. Darn near. Uh, darn near two decades, uh, which includes deployments to Iraq, uh, operate with 3rd Special Forces Group, and uh, I couldn't tell you what all else, training chaplains, other deployments, uh, but generally speaking, you've been attending to the wellness needs of soldiers for many years now. Uh, and in fact, you've also served uh, as a chaplain. You do serve as a chaplain for, uh, I think, the Statesville Fire Department, Police Department. Over time, you've served for, for, as a first responder chaplain, um, attending to the needs of first responders. Uh, and, and also, you know, you're uh, personally uh, a wellness uh, advocate in the physical realm as well. So. Um, let's, uh, talk a little bit about this topic of wellness. What, what is the word we can throw it out there? Wellness, responder wellness or uh, soldier wellness. What's it mean? Yeah, I think it's been a lot, think, uh, been a lot of time a, talking about this. Yeah. I think a term that is thrown around out there a lot, but I really believe in it. It's, it's become a, uh, it's become a catch, catch word, you know, you know how words will kind of get used like that but the, I think the term resiliency is is the is the term that I'm that I really uh, like a lot um, and you know if you think about the the term resiliency it really is something that has the idea of being stretched and stretched and stretched and then but then having the ability to come back to its original intended shape and form and function and um, you know, so what we saw in the military after multiple deployments and stress and trauma and all of that, right, we saw, we saw a breakdown. And the breakdown in resiliency, really, what does it lead to? It leads to self-destructive behavior. And, uh, and then ultimately, too, I think um, it's the loss of assets, right, the human asset, which is, which is um, in the special forces world, the special, special operations world, cross-components, cross you know, Army, Navy, Air Force Marines, um, one of the, um, uh, there's five soft truths, five special operations forces, soft, soft truths. And truth number one is that humans are more valuable than hardware. And, um, and that's the, that, that's really, that's, that's the truth that, that should be, you know, rendered within the first responder community as well, is that you, you don't, you know, we spend a lot of time taking care of equipment and, and, and uh, trucks and you know make sure your hoses are right and in the army make sure your guns are right, right all that thing but uh but but if you don't have a, a resilient human to, to to do the maintenance if you don't have a resilient human to do the mission uh the mission doesn't the mission doesn't happen and there's a really cool book that came out by, by a dude named pete blaber who was a delta force guy and uh he wrote a book called the men the mission and me uh which was which which that that hierarchy was actually was actually the point of the book is it is that the people people come first the mission is second i'm last is a leader i'm last and so i know we've got i know you've got leaders in on this call or, or 
in your class and and really um, uh, subordinate uh, folks can really recognize when leaders don't care about them. Um, when when leaders are when leaders are ladder climbers and leaders are are uh, simply focused on their own careers and, and what they want to get out of life uh, and they neglect the people under them uh, that that's uh, man that that's a that's a stink that you can't get off of you man and uh, so uh, um, really that's that's kind of what I've kind of immersed my life in is is uh, helping people develop resiliency um, through through really a three-pronged approach it's it's uh, uh, I like to talk about a stool, uh, a stool, a milking stool, the old milking stool, like when you used to milk cows and you used to squat down behind them and, and grab on and do some squeezing. But the milking stool has three legs on it, and uh, those three legs uh, will it won't it won't work unless there's three legs. It won't work if one if there's one leg. Um, it won't work if there's two. It works really good if you got three. And and kind of the three legs of of resiliency or our mental wellness, um, physical wellness, and, and spiritual wellness. And, and a lot of people focus, uh, tend to focus on one or the other, or, or maybe two, uh, but leave the third one out, you know, and it, you can pick the one, but, but it, it really works well when they're all in balance. And one, can't, one leg can't be longer than the other. Uh, they've all got to be equidistant uh, so that everything's in balance. And so that's really kind of where uh, I'm at, what I try to, try to help people do. Well, it's interesting that, uh, you know, you've been at this for quite a while. Matter of fact, I think back, you and I, I think we're a little ahead of our time. We sat down and did a similar podcast about nine years ago. And I think that was at the, the very beginning of the podcast. So what um, beginning of the podcast sort of craze, and we were talking about uh, veterans' behavioral health, uh, I think a lot um, during that podcast. What have you seen change in the last 10 years? Because this now is a – a very uh, hot topic among leaders for all uniform services, whether it's military or first responder, but clearly something has changed over the years to bring this to the forefront. Uh, it's a big topic for leaders. And, and oh, by the way, I do appreciate that, you know, with, with all your training and you, you've done a significant amount of training in this, but uh, I love that you're still bringing that homespun wisdom to it. There's a little, a little bit of farm farm boy common sense that you can apply to this. And I appreciate well, that. What have you seen change over the years? Yeah, so, you know, I think, um, uh, I think I've seen it go from uh, a reactionary approach to self-destructive folk, folks, uh, you know, our, our people that serve with us, our brothers in arms or our brothers and sisters that serve with us uh, in, in first responder community. And it, for many years, it was, well, I, think, I think it gravitated. I think it went from, hey, this is not going on and we just, all oh, that guy's just weird and and he was just—he was destined to be lost, and and to uh, to reactionary approach, and then and then I think I think it moved across the scale from from um, um, you know ostrich sticking the head in the sand to uh, we got to react to this and we got to react to this now, and we, so we wait until something happens and then we react and we do a critical incident capacity briefing, and then and then oh and then we did that that's now everything's good, but now I think what we're seeing is. There's kind of this groundswell of of, um, of being proactive about it and and initiating when when folks are new uh, to to either a unit or or a force or fire department or police department or whatever uh, is getting um, these young kids uh, uh, aware of what this line of work uh, can do to you uh, 
uh, over over a long period of time. It doesn't, you know, you know, the 25 year old man, it, you know, he's out running calls. It doesn't feel bad to him. Um, but I, I liken it to this: is like if you ever been in the military and you ever done a ruck march, and you wear a 50 or 60 pound ruck for for 12 miles, and uh, a, after 12 miles, it 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 feels bad when you're when you the first mile, but mile 12 it feels horrible, and you can't wait to get the weight out of that thing. You, I mean, when you take that ruck off and, and you let it fall on the ground, it's one of the greatest feelings ever. And, and the problem is, is that we can emotionally, we can mentally, we can spiritually just keep lugging this rucksack with us and never take it off. And eventually what it is, is it just beats you down uh, to, where, to where you don't even know you got it on your back, right? Um, I heard, man, you know, it's funny, man. I heard this great story this morning. Uh, it came from uh, the Korean War. Uh, and uh, there was a group of American uh, soldiers that had gotten captured. Uh, they were put in a, a prison uh, with some other dissidents, that uh, civilians that were either complicit with the Americans. And anyhow, there was this big mission to, to go and rescue these folks. And they went and they went and got them and then when they, some special operations guys, you know, the forerunners of special forces, they went in and got these folks. And when they broke open, they broke into the camp. And when they broke open the jail cells, um, these people had, these folks had been in there so long, they didn't, they didn't, A, they didn't trust the people that were coming to help them. And B, they didn't want to leave, right? They were reluctant to leave their captivity. And I think a lot of times, um, first responders, soldiers, people that work in this, sometimes we're reluctant to leave the pain uh, we're, because it becomes so uh, commonplace and so normal uh, to be dealing with that. And we're reluctant to leave that behind. And, uh, and sometimes we have to have help with that. We have to have somebody, there's gotta be somebody that says, hey, there's a better way. I'm opening the, the, the chain doors for you. I'm giving you the key to the lock that's been around your ankle. And uh, now come on and go with me uh, let me show you a better way. And sometimes there's some reluctance to that and people don't want to, they don't want to get help after they've done it for so long. Right. And, and I know over time uh, we've had some conversations, the, the word PTSD gets thrown out around there, post-traumatic stress disorder. You take a little issue with that D part of that, right? You, you just like to you call it something else. Yeah. I call it PTSI, uh, post-traumatic stress injury. Um, and uh, I'll tell, I tell people this is that if you, if you cut your leg with a knife and you apply direct pressure and you get to the right professional uh, and you get some stitches put in it and you put some antibiotic cream on it, uh, over time that injury will heal. And uh, uh, what, what trauma does to us is no less uh, significant in the way, and it's a form, it's, a, it's what's called an injury. And, and uh, um, you know, there was some studies done by the VA couple of uh, really forward thinking doctors uh, studied some guys that had had some experiences in Vietnam 60 years ago, 50 years ago. And what they realized was that they didn't really have a post-traumatic stress disorder uh, because they, because post-traumatic stress disorder is really uh, defined by a couple of things. It's defined generally by fear, uh, the fear of reliving what it was that happened. Um, but these guys weren't feeling that they were they were feeling they were feeling shame and remorse and and uh 
and so really there's no how do you how do you you don't have a pill for remorse uh, or shame right there's a, there's the, the, i didn't act fast enough or why did why did i live and and my buddy die you know or i wasn't good enough or i wasn't I'm, you know i wasn't fast enough and, and so what they what he kind of discovers that these these folks have been kind of wounded inside had interior wounds what are these wounds all about and so he came up and and this is kind of the consensus is that the uh post-traumatic stress is an injury um and not a disorder because if you tell somebody you got a disorder they go they go ooh, I, you know get away from me is that catching mm-hmm. uh, but if you tell somebody you got an injury they, they say hey what what do you well you know what can i do to help you with that injury and uh and then ultimately, too, we, we recover from injuries. You know, there, we, we've, there may be a scar left. Uh, the, the scar may be there to remind us of, of what the injury was, but, uh, uh, but, but it's, nonetheless, it, it's, it's, a healable, it's a healable thing. And uh, that's what we believe about, about post-traumatic stress. Right. I think uh, you've talked to me about it in the past. Uh, there's a huge forgiveness component, right? A, a, oh, a yeah. forgiveness of, you know, we... Yep sort of think about this as we can, uh, I don't know, there, there's so many psychological approaches to it, but uh, sure. forgiveness is a big part of it. You, you have found a program. Let's talk really, you know, let's talk about your, the reboot program. Introduce sure. that to listeners because you found it to be very uh, impactful. Yeah. So, so reboot combat recovery was started about seven years ago up at Fort Campbell, Kentucky by a young lady who was not even in the military. She was a rehab therapist working in a traumatic brain injury clinic, meeting with guys that had been wounded and injured uh, downrange. Uh, she discovered through, uh, you know, her work uh, as, a, as a therapist that they not only had physical injuries, but they had these, these moral injuries, these spiritual wounds. And she was really just, uh, it's kind of one of those things where she was compelled, uh, she felt compelled to, to offer them help. So her and her husband started having people over for dinner um, and started having discussions, and the discussions led to big questions about why did this happen to me? The big question of life is: there's a is there a God? Does He care about me? Is He a loving God? What kind of God is He? Is He real? You know those kinds of things, and it, and that really led into some uh, awesome discussions, and healing started happening, and people stopped wanting to kill themselves, and they started developing community. And what the, one of the things they found is when we start getting people together face to face in a trusting environment. Um, that uh, they tend to open up more, and uh, and they did it all around a meal. They they broke bread, um, you know, o- over the over the over the dinner table, you know, and uh, and a unique community was started. Well, that grew into uh, hey, we're onto something. They developed a they got together with some really smart people that had been dealing with uh, trauma recovery for the last thirty or forty years, and um, and they developed this curriculum called Reboot. And then um, that that grew. It, it's a groundswell. It kind of was organic. It, it, it wasn't a government program. It was just a couple people that put, pulled something together. People started jumping on it. People started getting well. Uh, groups started popping up all over the country. Uh, and then they started realizing. Somebody said one day, I think it was a guy from Arkansas. He was a first responder. He's a EMS guy. He was looking for some help with his own trauma. And he joined in a combat recovery group and he got help and he reached out to them and said, hey, you should do this for first responders. So they developed a first responder curriculum. And then uh, we kind of piloted uh, that program here in Idaho County, uh, gosh, I think two years ago. Uh, I think we ran our first pilot program. Since then we've run six or seven classes. And, 
And uh, so now we are, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we continue on. We have 10, 15 folks every class. Uh, COVID is kind of uh, put the, put the, you know, we've do, been doing it via Zoom, uh, but uh, but it but it continues to be very effective, and we see the community grow. And it, and and not only does that, it's a 12-week course. It's not a support group. It's a course. You go, you learn some skills, and you graduate. Seen some great great success out of it, and so uh, we're really excited about where it's going, and we'd love to see it expand across the other parts of of uh, of, of uh, North Carolina. I I, I think it will. Uh, for those of you just, if you're just listening, we're talking with Major Brad Borders, chaplain in the Army of the United States of America, who has spent many, many years attending to the uh, wellness, spiritual, mental, and physical wellness of soldiers and first responders. Uh, and so uh, Brad is going to join us on, if all goes well, on May 13th. Uh, it will be a Zoom class. Uh, right now, we're still, we're still COVID con, uh, constrained, but uh, if you're listening to this, uh, I think it will be one of our most impactful classes that we're going to have. Um, it will be Zoom on May 13th. Uh, the good news about that, though, uh, you'll be able to interact with uh, Brad and have Q&A, and we're going to give him the floor that night to tell you whatever uh, he thinks would be beneficial for a public safety leader dealing with this issue. And over time, I've talked with Brad offline, and he's got a, you know, he can talk to us about triggering events, uh, how to recognize someone who may or may not be struggling. You know, chap, it's easy to look at someone and go, if they're struggling, you can see if they're struggling physically, right? If they're, if they're mm -hmm. putting on weight or if they've, uh, you know, that, that part's easy to see. Sometimes these, uh, these other wellness issues, uh, whether it's, you know, mental or behavioral issues or financial, you know, all the things that a chaplain just deals with nonstop, those can be harder to recognize. I think um, yeah. it'd be great. I don't know. Can you tee up something for like if, if we're a public safety leader, we're a battalion chief or we're a supervisor, a shift supervisor, we can look at someone and go, yep, that person's gaining weight or that person's limping. But, you know, how do we uh, go about finding someone who may be having a different sort of wellness issue? Yeah, I think. Is it um, even possible? You know? Yeah. No, I think it's possible. I think too many times, too many times we, we're doing that in retrospect after a bad event, right? After they've gotten a DWI or after they've had a domestic thing with their wife or heaven forbid, after they've had like a suicide attempt or completed suicide, right? We look back and we go, oh, wow, I should have noticed that, you know? And, and uh, uh, I, I would say that um, the first thing is, is that, A, we got to have a relationship with people where we know them well. You know, I mean, as leaders, we got to know our people. We got to know our people. We got to care about them. We got to be, we got to have that, the, the men, the mission and me mindset, right? It's got, it's got to be about them first. And we've got to put our wants and needs, uh, which is, it's just the demand of leadership is putting our, our wants and needs on, on the back burner and taking, taking care of others. Because when we win, every, you know, everybody wins. Uh, so I think a, a having that, having that understanding of, of who, and, and when you do have that, you're able, you are able to recognize um, and being attentive and being intentional about keeping an eye on your folks and uh, keeping an eye, man, for lack of a better term, man, keeping an eye on your flock. You know, you, we've got a flock of folks that, that, that care about, uh, that we care about and that, that are doing great things, uh, but keeping an eye on them and, uh, and then also to training people how to keep an eye on each other. Um, training that and modeling that relationship aspect of leadership uh, servant leadership 
um, what that looks like and, and uh, uh, so that everybody is on board with that. Um, I think uh, anytime you notice somebody that, that they are doing things differently than they normally do, um, you know, they, they, they react um, uh, much quicker in anger than they normally would. Um, they, um, um, uh, they, they're complaining about lack of sleep. Uh, that's a big one, man. That's a big one. You know, one thing they found out in special forces world, if they could get, they could get special forces operators sleeping again, they could, that was 80% of, of their behavioral health problem solved. If, wow, they could so, get, if they could get them sleeping, you know. And that's, I think that might even be, uh, you know, I've, I've served on both sides as well as you. I think yeah. responders may have bigger sleep issues than the oh, military. I mean, I that's a big deal. It. I don't doubt it. Yeah. And it's huge, man. You know, because if you're, if your body at the cellular level is not getting an opportunity to rebuild and retool um, that, then uh, you're going you're gonna to run in a deficit. And when you're running in a deficit, um, eventually it's going to come back uh, and cause problems down the road. I know that just from my own personal life, you know. That, well, and you know, one thing you've talked to me about, Chapper, you had this great analogy about the tobacco farmer or being in the tobacco field, getting yourself covered. And, and yeah. you know, I'll let you quickly speak to that and then we'll wrap it up. That's just a, a neat analogy. What, and that's about self-care. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, yeah, I call it walking through the tobacco field. Um, you know, one, one of the things that I found out is a caregiver. Um, I, I didn't do a great job of caring for myself. Um, and so there, my granddaddy used to tell me about this. Like when you, when you used to prime tobacco when he, when he was a young kid, when you walk through the tobacco field, the, to, the, the tobacco gets on you and you don't know it. it it's on you and, and nicotine will, will come into your body through your skin. And, and so as you, as you walk through the tobacco field, a lot of times they would find guys would, would do that all day and they'd be end up sick on the side of the field because they had not properly protected themselves against, against, the, against the leaf. And, and trauma is the same way and dealing with other people's trauma you know, when you, you go to wrecks all the time, you go to fires and people are in distress, you're a police officer and you're going to domestic disputes or whatever, right? And, and, uh, and then, you know, it's funny, man, you know, some of uh, my first responders, what they'll say is like, I went to this call and there was this kid who died and it just broke my heart. And, um, and then I didn't have time to process it because 30 minutes later, I got another call, you know, and I had, and I, cause I was still on shift and I had to go, right? And, and all of that kind of just adds up and builds up and it gets on top of each other. Next thing you know, your rucksack's full, it's too heavy to bear. And then, and then, and then at some point it breaks if you don't actively and intentionally take stuff out. And um, that, that can be problematic. And that's what we try to do, man. We try to help people get tools to, to get that weight off of them. Chap, I appreciate your time uh, today talking about this topic. This is just teeing up a, a topic that we're going to hit in depth on May 13th. We're going to give a chat before that day, and we're going to give an opportunity for you to have Q and A. Uh, wish it was going to be in person because uh, Chap's a, a great storyteller, but he's getting used to Zoom. So we're looking forward to that Zoom call. Uh, and if you're listening to this, I encourage you to, to jump on with us that night, May 13th, 7 p.m. Uh, should be a good one. Uh, awesome. Chap, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.